1919, John Wanamaker said, Half of the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20 or more. John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean you should give up on managing marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy, Mutinex Growth OS is the market mix modeling platform that can measure the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex Growth OS, your best decisions start here. Learn more at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot C-O. The Unmakers. Welcome to The Unmakers, a series in which we talk to people who are remaking the media and marketing world. We'll meet the startups, the troublemakers and the dreamers who've looked at the communications industry and are trying to find a better way. Before you remake it, you've got to unmake it. Today's episode features a familiar voice to our regular listeners. Abe Udy is the founder of Abe's Audio, but you may also know him as my co-host on Start the Week. Abe's Audio is celebrating their 25th anniversary. It's a period when the audio industry has been through an absolute revolution. In today's chat, we talk about how we got here, the outlook for the radio industry, and whether AI is going to be a help or a threat. I started by asking Abe about how the audio world looked to him 25 years ago. Yeah, 25 years ago, the world looked uh, very different in terms of audio. I came from a radio background, so I kind of started uh, working in regional radio, uh, so very small markets. And essentially, to make the commercials, you would use only local announcers, so three or four voices, and that was it. And so all the ads sounded essentially sounded very similar, sounded the same, and stations really didn't have an option to be able to get other uh, voiceover talent. And so I kind of saw a need, and it was very early email days, very kind of early MP3, MP3 technology was just being kind of developed and honed, where you could compress audio to a small enough size to be able to email it via dial-up. And so that was kind of the that was kind of the uh, the. The, the space that I found myself in 25 years ago and thought, hang on, wouldn't it be great if we could use voiceover talent from one radio station, for example, and make it available to another station? So literally paying voiceover talent, I think initially $5 per read, I would pay them, charge $5 for the production and make $5 profit. So 15 bucks all up. That was my very uneducated rule of thumb, I would get local uh, re-announcers from small regional stations that I worked in and essentially on-sell that work and production to other regional stations because budgets were very, very tight, uh, very small, in particularly in the, in the smaller markets. And so that was kind of how I started and how Abe's Audio started. And then I my studio comprised really of a, a microphone in between the shirts that were hanging from a roof. I had a dial-up internet uh, connection that I'd have to unplug and plug the fax machine in to receive the, the scripts from. So it was a very different world 25 years ago than what it is today with 
everything based in the cloud and and uh, NBN and um, just connectivity and people working from home as a as a, a thing that is normal. But back then it really wasn't, and it was you know working remotely, uh, working ha- having voices from one area to be able to supply to another agency, for example, voices in Port Lincoln where I kind of grew up in South Australia, supplying an agency in Townsville in Queensland, you know, was unheard of. But that was kind of where I found myself and really the niche and how Abe's Audio started. And, and from there, it's it's really grown to be more than just voiceovers. We do a lot of voiceovers, but also sound design now. And that's really you know, sound design for TVCs and other content. And that's really grown. But voiceovers are still kind of were always the core and have always been the core of, of what we do. Certainly has changed a lot, though, in 25 years. And at that point, when you were starting the business, were you, in your mind's eye, was this always going to be a business or were you effectively thinking of yourself as a freelancer at that point? You know what, that's a interest, fascinating question. I'd started my career working in, in regional radio and I guess I cut my teeth using uh, kind of some old technology making radio ads, um, fairly simple kind of rudimentary tech and I had thought I'd rather work for myself and earn no money than work for someone else and earn no money. It wasn't on a huge wage back then. So I think it was just the dream of wanting to have freedom and to kind of set my own destiny. And I never had planned to have world domination or some huge, great business, but just to do what I loved. So probably maybe rather naively, but that's kind of how I started the business. I thought I'm just going to do what I love, what people will pay for, which is commercializing audio, making radio ads and, and TV audio for TV ads at the time. As that was kind of my thinking, and it wasn't really how can I grow this and how can I scale, but certainly that has happened over time. And you're now a national business that happens to be based in Tasmania. Uh, when you when you started that business, were you far more of a local company at that point, or did you always have that national footprint? No, it certainly wasn't local in that I was in Port Lincoln, which is uh, country South Australia, and I would use local radio announcers, but my first ever clients were in regional Queensland, in Gladstone, and I think Townsville, my first ever client was an advertising agency, still exists today, Mac Advertising in Townsville. And are they still a client to this day? <laughs> I did actually. In fact, I saw the owner, the new owner, uh, only a couple of weeks ago in Townsville and was able to to thank him. Uh, not that he actually did anything back in the day, but um, it's crazy that a client back then is still a client today. But no, it, it certainly wasn't locally based. And I think that's one of the strengths of the business. It's never been focused on one local economy. We've had eggs in many different baskets. And traditionally, to start with, it was all kind of regional baskets in that Gladstone and you know, Broken Hill and, and you know, regional centres, but it certainly wasn't based where I lived. It was wherever the clients were. Well, let's talk a bit about the audio industry itself and where it gets most of its work. You've sort of alluded to it already. Um, for you, I presume the main sweet spot is the advertising industry. Our main clients are really advertising and creative agencies that need audio for radio commercials, TVCs. But then increasingly over the last few years, digital content's really grown. So explainer videos, uh, audio for digital content, um, whether it be internal training or comms or external. So that's really grown, but really is all around marketing, advertising, whether that be internal or external. 
And um, that's really specifically the production part. So, for instance, you're not writing the scripts. No. And, and, and agencies really hang their hat on creative. So they'll generally concept and write a script internally and say, here's the script, need the audio back within a day or two, or sometimes even quicker. So we would get the scripts, we would cast it to a voice, have the voice record it, we would then uh, edit the voice, mix the voice, send the fully produced radio commercial off or TVC or whatever it is to the client. They are handling the creative. We're really kind of bringing their creative ideas to life. Well, that is uh, quite an interesting area, I think. Yeah, let's talk about voiceovers. Um, How do you find the right voice and how do you choose the right voice for the right client? That's an interesting question, and we often get we get hundreds of voiceover demos a year of people wanting to be a voiceover or kind of be on our books. I guess the first thing in, in our world, and this might this might kind of make some creatives shudder at the thought, but the first thing is, what is the deadline? So when do we need to deliver by? Because there's no point delivering a perfect voice if it's past deadline, and you've missed deadline. So our first thought is, who's available? for the deadline, and then what is the best voice? So what kind of delivery do we need? Do we need a really relaxed delivery? Is it the authenticity? Is it in the cell? So then it's thinking about the brief and how a script, a voiceover, can bring that script to life based on the deadline of the job and other kind of creative uh, requirements in the brief. Does that answer the question? Sort of. And I suppose it's, you know, I, I, I guess there are certain types of voice you hear in Australian advertising so much you know that for the for the the bloke's voice that sort of deep Aussie voice you know for the you know if I think about some of the sort of the the women's voices you hear in advertising particularly around retail that sort of the urgency to it are there just are there just certain people who've got the right voice yeah, I think so, but it's also not just the voice, and yes, Tony's important, but it's about really getting inside the script and getting into the meaning of it, and so it's knowing what words do I lean on, which words do I swallow. Often I'll say to up-and-coming voices, it's that last 5% that's the hardest to get right and separates the good voices from the great voices, so knowing I'll swallow an and or a the or an of, because if I put the right emphasis, you know, swallow words and emphasise others, that really helps with the cell and kind of puts colour in a read and takes the listener on a bit of a journey and tells a story, whether it's a a retail ad or a a narrative voice. It's really what what words you're leaning on, what you're swallowing and how you tell that story. And that's just experience. You can't, you really can't kind of uh, shortcut that experience, I think. So with a single line... How many times might you end up recording it sometimes? Look, sometimes a lot, but often our voices have done like hundreds and thousands of scripts, so really know how to get inside scripts. So some clients will really want to focus on a line and let's hear that 15 times and really get the nuance right. Other times it might be a couple of passes. Yep, absolutely nailed it. So it does depend on the client and the level of input they're having. But really, if you can nail it, you know, fairly quickly in, in our industry, deadline really, as I said, kind of is king. You've got to get the creative right, but you've got a deadline that's always looming. So the quicker you can get to where you need to be, the better. So I feel that 
probably what's been going on when I've been recording the live read for the start of our unmade podcast is you've been quietly judging my attempts because I you 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 you've not given me that much feedback thus far. <laughs> well, let's um, uh, I, I I guess, and I suppose when I think about voiceover artists, um. I reckon at least half of my information I've probably got from watching Toast of London and those frustrating studio experiences with Clem Fandango through the glass. Um, I, um, I, I guess most of what you're doing actually are not in the same room anymore. Does, does that change how you sort of direct those voice sessions? Interestingly... Uh, our voices, the non-directed sessions, and I can talk about how technology's helped us to increase directed sessions in a bit, but uh, by far the amount of work we do is non-directed. So we would send a script and a brief to a voice. The voice doesn't just have to deliver it. They have to listen to how they're delivering it. So they're speaking and listening because we would do 120, 150 jobs in a day from radio ads, 30-second radio ads to three-minute narr- narrations, to even longer projects. With that kind of volume, voices need to deliver quickly and you can't direct everything. So that self-direction is really important. And that's an art not every voice can do. There's some great voices that can't also self-direct. So that's an art we help voices learn. But after reading thousands of scripts, they're good at hearing how a read should go. Interestingly, though, we're really increasing the amount of directed sessions we're doing. COVID, if it did have one positive, was kind of teaching people that Zoom was okay. Um, So with Zoom Audio, uh, this morning, speaking of Clem Fandango, a bit of a a laugh because I saw one Zoom session that we had eight clients on the line and the voice and our producer. So you had eight people, the creative, probably the client, the uh, CMO, and who knows uh, who else was involved in the creative process, all listening in, probably all providing feedback to the voice live using Zoom audio. Um, the voice is recording on their end, so it's completely high-quality audio. But wherever the client is, they can kind of have that input, which is a really interesting change, actually. Now, I know that you'll have to be very careful not to say the client because I don't want to get you in trouble. But do you think having eight or nine people from the client and on the call actually delivered a better result? Look, if you were to ask me who, what's the ideal number, you would say three to four at a max, ideally. Now, look, it doesn't. if eight want to listen in and five are muting, that's fine because if they're just having sign-off, that's fine. But if you have eight people with their input, it just becomes an absolute nightmare and really overthought. So I would say you want kind of one or two key creative people with input and the rest really listening and if there's, you know, an absolute you know, must-have, perhaps chime in. But that's really, ideally, one or two kind of chiming in. And you get the best performance from the voice. As soon as you start to overthink it, often the, the first first one or two takes are the best. And then when they're overthought, you just lose that magic or that sparkle. And there was something in those first few reads that really, to be honest, were the best. And we've overthought it. That, that can often happen in, in a session like that. And you mentioned you're sometimes doing like 150 jobs a day. Presumably that's not with 150 different voiceover artists. And some people just getting in the booth and knocking off a dozen in an hour or something. Yep. Yeah. So we have 60 or so voiceover artists, maybe 30 or 40 that 
you know, the most popular. And so it might be they're available for a few different sessions across a day and there's three reads and there's one and then there's five, certainly not 60. And we might do 10 or 15 actual directed sessions in a day. So some are directed, but the bulk are self-directed. Here's a few reads. Uh, please record these by this deadline and here's the audio when we need it and then we'll produce it. And what what's the business model for this? Like the... You know, starting with the voiceover people, do they get paid for their time, or like is is is, is an ad that they voice for? I don't know a, a regional radio station. Are they paid less than they would if it was to to run as a voiceover for Coles or something? Yeah, so we pay voices. They're all independent contractors, and they're paid per job based on where that job is airing, which is essentially then dictates what we can charge the client. So if it's airing regionally in Launceston. Um, advertising and creative budgets are a lot smaller than, for example, if it's airing nationally um, online and in Sydney for Coles, for example. So you can pay a voice uh, more when there's a bigger budget, but there's also more exposure. So there's more ears and eyes. And so the client's got more money. But in a place like Launceston, tiny budgets, it's all about scale. Let's talk about sort of some of the disruptions of technology. Um Hey, you um, you came along to Humane, which was Unmade's AI conference. Um, what role do you see as AI being likely to play in either helping or disrupting the audio industry? Look, this is uh, second half of 2023. So <laughs> I premise this by anything I say, I'll listen back to in months and think, what was I thinking? But here and now, as I see it, look, six months ago, uh, when we saw the prifil, uh, proliferation of AI, I thought, I'm in trouble. Our whole business model that's based on human voice talent with text-to-voice and various AI apps, we are in big trouble. And I actually, I've really got quite anxious about it, thinking, where does that leave us? Where does it leave people? Where does it leave creatives? And as I've heard the tech, which some of it is really impressive and very cool, but it's, it's not quite there. And when I say quite there yet, yes, I'm sure there will be advantages advances and, and tech will become more human. But I don't think you can beat real humanness. And so for me, I've landed when tech and humans kind of work together combined, that's when we get magic. So I'm not shying away from using AI tools and, and different technologies. But I think there's something really important about people. And so for us, we're doubling down in customer service with humans in voiceover talent with people and using tech to help us deliver that really well, really fast. I think that, to be honest, that's where the magic happens. Tim, at, at Humane, and I missed it by one minute, but I demonstrated some tech that we've, we were working on that used some AI assistance with, with human interaction. But within nine minutes, we had a script created, sent to our head office in Launceston, back to a real human voice in Redfern in Sydney in a studio, recorded it, was back in Launceston, produced by a person, and back, and I was going to play it, but I missed it by one minute. We were very tight on our deadline. We allowed everyone, was it six minutes per pitch, I, I seem to remember, or was it eight minutes? I can't it remember. was eight minutes, and we took nine. But to show that, and again, not every job has a nine-minute turnaround, but to show that it is theoretically possible, like most of our jobs are within hours, using real humans. So I think it's all, it's all about tech and humans working together, and that's when we get the best out of it, the best creativity. Yeah, I suppose I've, one of the things I find myself thinking about in terms of sort of using AI just 
to improve is every now and then when I've been recording the um the, the the podcast when I've been on the road, I've been in a hotel room or something. Sometimes I've been disorganized and I haven't brought a decent microphone with me and I've just recorded off the laptop. I've been really surprised at the speed of which the quality has improved. So the raw file I send to Abe's audio with all the background and the echo of the room. And then when it comes back, it sounds like I was talking into a proper microphone. Um, I mean, that that's AI that's doing that? It's, it's, what's behind it? Yeah, there's some really interesting tools. And one of them I use is a, a tool from Adobe. So we're not building this. This is a, a, a tool that Adobe have made to help enhance voices. Now, if you just throw it in there not knowing what you're doing, you can really mangle it. So this is going behind the curtains as well, Tim. Once I've... Um, improve the audio quality and pulled out the noise uh, of of the recording. I don't just want to put it in because there's lots of artifacts that you don't hear because I've edited them out that the AI miss or it really mangles. So it can do really good things. It can also do really bad things. That if you heard you go, what? What's going on there? There's some real garble that's come from nowhere. So as a human, as a person, I've edited those out because I've picked up, I take those out, take those out. So we're using tech and I agree, it's it's crazy how good some of the tech is, but you still need people who know how to use it to drive the tech. Yeah, and I suppose that's the thing. Technology still goes wrong, doesn't it? I um, hey, look, you know what? I often listen to the um, Tofop podcast with Will Anderson, and they're often talking about how Riverside has lost their files again and that sort of thing. So, and Riverside is the system we use to record as well because we're we're not in the same room at the moment. Speaking of Riverside, not always working. Only a couple of weeks ago, we were recording Start the Week with uh, Sedja Alzadi and Kat McGinn. So there were four of us on the podcast. And for some reason, your feed didn't record and upload. And we tried everything and it just it didn't exist. It didn't record. And so the magic of oh, it was an editing a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, because I had my recording, Sedja's and Kat's. We then went back and re-recorded all your responses. So your content was still what you said and you were responding, but we had to then edit everything in, hopefully seamlessly, and the uh, dear listener didn't even know. Well, I think I deserved an Oscar for for uh, uh, asking those questions and interjecting a second time and making it sound like I was hopefully uh, hopefully still in the uh, still in the room. Um, I think Kat said to me, while technology exists, we're still going to need humans because no AI could have fixed that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very true. Look, I, and I wouldn't mind talking a bit more about the future of the the radio and audio industry because I just want to get your take um I I've been thinking about this quite a lot with radio um and sort of the wider audio industry and it feels to me that most mediums you can say whether digital has helped it or hindered it so you can say that broadcast television has been really disrupted and is smaller you know printed newspapers have been disrupted as much as anything by the the loss of classified advertising um so you know so that has shrunk as a medium same as magazines um on the other side you can probably argue that outdoor advertising because the ability to digitize billboards it's been a big net positive for audio and the radio industry i can't quite make up my mind whether the digital disruption is going to make it a bigger or smaller industry going forward because it 
it feels like there are forces on both sides. But I'd, I'd love to know what you think. Uh, look, this is way above my pay grade, so I, I, I'm not an expert. I've got a couple of gut feelings. I have wondered about podcasting. I mean, we're in the podcast production business, and there's absolutely a market for it and content. But I do wonder, there's only a finite number of ears, and I'm just wondering, with content growing exponentially, how that growth will be sustained. You aren't growing population and available ears, really, um, as I see it. So... Look, that's an interesting one that those who know more than I do at some of the radio and podcasting networks, I'm sure, are solving and trying to solve. But it has made me think, how does that look in the future? And with the growth of podcasting, what what does that mean? I mean, will it keep growing exponentially? I think radio, look, I would be worried if I owned a broadcast TV license, particularly in the regions. I mean, TV still works, but with you know all the apps, your sevens, nines, tens, Anyone using the app, we are served, uh, my kids want to watch The Voice. Um, They could tune into it live on Southern Cross, but let's say we want to watch it Wednesday night before they go to bed at 6.48. They'll seven plus it. It's only really usually national ads. And so I I worry for local businesses, how do sales teams in local TV networks work? How does Southern Cross uh, television uh, that doesn't, you know, regionally or Win TV for that matter. How how does that work for sales for them? That that would be a hard gig in in this changing landscape. And and, and speaking of hard things, let's let's let, let's go back to Abe's Audio, the business that lasts twenty five years. For you, what has been the hardest thing in the time you've been running that business? Um, look, r- people is always the trickiest thing, and we have a staff of twenty two staff a lot of them working remotely. So that's always tricky to make sure folk are engaged. Uh, Probably one of the hardest things, and I won't go into too much detail to bore you, but uh, they say uh, partnerships are difficult and it turns out they were right. So that was probably a a difficult time in the chapter and being someone who started a business. But um, while there are hard days, I genuinely love creating audio, but not just that. I'm not on the tools much anymore, aside from the Start the Week podcast. Uh, I have a team of amazing people who, and I, I, I challenge any business to have a better staff than than I do, just loyal. They care about the business. And that's been a real joy to be leading that team. So that's probably one of my, one of the things that gets me out of bed in the morning is the people part of it. Well, Abe, you, you've, you've, you've sat through many an edit, so I think you know what the final question is going to be. What do your critics say about you and what do your supporters say about you? Well, I try not to listen to my critics to answer the first part too much because if we listened to everyone that was critical in the world, we would just our heads would be full. But I know that for many years I was slammed for being the cheap and nasty kind of working from home and ugh, voices in their bedrooms literally derided by so many in the industry Funnily enough, a little thing called COVID came along and everyone realised, oh, you can work from home. And so it changed the whole perception. And so now it's using Zoom and working from home isn't a stigma. But funnily enough, in 2008, half of my team were working remotely. And so I guess critics did used to say that about me, that I was killing the industry and Really, I wasn't. I was just trying to ride the wave and where I saw technology taking us. I don't know about what they might say now because I try not to listen too much. Uh, To the second part, what would my supporters say? 
I come back to the feedback that we constantly get when we ask clients, hey, how are we doing? What can we do better? Give us some feedback. Genuinely is, you guys are amazing. Love working with such an easy supplier. If only all suppliers were like you. We love partners like you that just get it and care and make it easy. So I guess the words of others are probably the best ones to lean on. And it's knowing that we're doing something right. And really, it comes back to that customer service and, and relationships, really caring about people. And that's what seems to um, seems to win. Well, a happy anniversary, and I'll see you back bright and early on Monday morning for start the week. Thanks, Tim. It probably goes without saying. Today's podcast was recorded with the assistance of Abe's Audio. Here's to another 25 years. Toodle pep. The Unmakers. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.